I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, my name is Jasmine. I live in Liverpool. You're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, what do you do if you have creative block? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello everybody, welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor and currently comedian on tour, Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we're talking everything from... Well, we're talking everything from Jasmine, from Liverpool's question, what do you do when you have creative block? Dane, how do you deal with that? conundrum buddy um i uh i guess i return to life i think that uh creativity is like kind of influenced by your experiences and i guess your your thoughts and so i just take time to return back to those two sources to spend some time in my own head to have a think about things and to ponder things and then yeah I appreciate creativity of others like don't remain within like a bubble and understand that like part of being involved in creative industries that I'm a fan of creativity as well as you know a source of it as well so mm. yeah just go and live life especially in comedy whereby you're planning on life experience then you have to experience life because that feeds into your uh, material so I'll just look at stuff Good, good answer. My answer would be exercise, basically. Uh, that's the one way to always kind of try and un- un- unleash something in your body, I'd say. But um, suffice to say, on this podcast, uh, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely. And if you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear all the very special questions being answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is an iconic British DJ and radio presenter and host. He's one part of the legendary garage trio, The Dream Team. He hosted the weekend breakfast show on Radio 1, as well as successful shows on Radio 5 Live and Rinse FM. And he is now a presenter for Global Premier League TV and more of his spectacular garage classical live shows in the pipeline. It's DJ Spoonie. Yeah. Also, also a decent golfer. I should definitely include that as well. Oh, really? Apparently. I, I mean, the thing with that, it's all uh, it's, it's all about relativity with decent, because if you put me around a group of professionals, I'm absolutely rubbish. But if you put me at top golf, then I'll look like I know what I'm doing. So I'm always quite mindful of uh, my golfing prowess. Yeah, it's a good level to be. It means it means like you, you're exceptional socially, but, you know, <laughs> average professionally. That's what you want. I think that's the best way. It means if you go to like a driving range or like crazy golf, everyone's like, oh, Spoonie, that's well good. You're like, yeah, I dabble. <laughs> what do you do to deal with the creative with creative block uh spoonie what's your what's your what's your tips um you know what I've, what i've always found is um trying to uh like think about stuff without thinking about stuff i think letting the subconscious take over um at times uh, works wonders for me and anytime i've been pondering pondering and can't quite get through i just go and do something completely different exercises is amazing. Um, I like to keep fit and I cycle and, and, and I play golf. And like you say, quite often um, I'll come up with some good ideas there and something that I've never, ever shared before. Um, my girlfriend knows this very well, though, but I've never shared this publicly before that sometimes my best ideas actually come to me on the toilet. Yeah. Wow. Makes wow. Sense. That That is big news. That is the headline from this episode already. Are we, are we talking the, the sit down version of the toilet? Obviously, not the not the standing urinal. So it's kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I don't want to be too graphic and go into too too much details about yeah. it, but I think people can join the dots on on, on that. Um, <laughs> sitting on the throne, yeah. sit, you sitting on the throne. The ideas about you know realizing your own royalty come to you. I, I think that makes. <laughs> You need a tranquil environment, even in that case, though. Like you could, it's hard to do that in like a public toilet. <laughs> but it, it's impossible. And, and I was going to say that the 
the solitude that we get from those moments go way beyond us having to deal with what our body needs to deal with. So um, there's a nice little reframe in there that that, that gives me uh, benefits. <laughs> I always remember when I was I always remember when I was young, right? I don't know if you guys experienced this, but people would be like, "Oh, I'm 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 going to go and be creative," and uh, and they're, "Oh, you're okay, yeah, I'm I'm just going to smoke a quick joint," and then you'd be like that is the least create like at least most people i know the idea of smoking weed and then doing anything other than sitting on your ass was just impossible but like i always remember that do you when we were when you were young like people smoking weed as no that was somehow going to unleash their creativity i think some people i mean i i was able to do that when i was young no 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 weed smoking back then because no. that would have cost money. So, <laughs> so the real plan was, how can we make enough money to buy weed? <laughs> I mean, when I young, when I was young, people didn't smoke weed for creativity. I can assure you of that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, Howard, I'm, I'm more in keeping with uh, your, your your initial idea and the uh, and the way that you received it. Like, hmm, how do you do that? I suppose no, only Bob Marley really became creative smoking weed. That, that's what I always say. Unless you're unless you're Bob Marley. Well, I, I can add one. I can add one other name uh, to that that list actually before we move on. Well, two names: Bob Dylan, definitely whole yeah, life was yeah. changed by by weed. And then um, I was told a story, and I'd love to get him on the podcast because I think he's an amazing guy. Um, the lead singer of Blur and Gorillas, Damon Albarn. The, one of the I've been told that he wakes up in the morning and smokes one, uh, and that's his yeah, standard. So yeah. wake and bake. Yeah, I think. I, do you know? What? I think it's for different people. It, work, it works for different people, I guess. Some people, um, I guess substances can release their inhibitions and that's how they're able to focus. Or like, I suppose if you are someone that can be quite, I can be quite neurotic about creativity. If I don't come up with an idea very soon and I can worry about it a lot and my mind can race, which is good for creativity because you have an active imagination, but it might not be necessarily focused. Sometimes, depending on what strain of weed you have, if it's an indica or sativa, can influence it but then i think it varies from person to person i think a large part of it is discipline because some people can smoke weed and they're okay with being bored and also it's like just having the ideas in your head sometimes when you have weed can be enough for you so it's like oh i just have clear images of stuff in my head and that can be enough for people so it's it's really how people apply it yeah that's a very well so there you go so what we've worked out is that unless your name is bob or Damon, then uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there yeah. you go, Jasmine. I hope you really got a lot out of your question, and it's probably uh, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show dictates. Absolutely, uh, Mr. Spoonie, as our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask any question you'd like, which we like to discuss for fifteen minutes on some change, and then Howard here would like to pose a question to you, which we like to discuss for fifteen minutes, and then lather rinse repeat. I'd like to do the same to ask you a question. Um, and then I'd like for our listeners to find out about all of your good works, past, pre- past, present and future. And yeah, it's as simple as that, really. Let's nice. So I've got to ask you a question now. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're ready. We're ready. Bring it on. All right. So, so I had, I had two and um, there was like a little bit of a, like a little race horse going on where one was like winning the race for ages and the guy who had his money on that. And I say, guy, I know that women bet as well, but just stay with me <laughs> with this moment. And, uh, and, and the guy, he was almost spending his winnings and then out of nowhere, this other <laughs> idea came along and picked it on the line. All right. Nice. So, um, <laughs> the, 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 the two ideas were how different would the world have been if Christopher Columbus had actually sailed in the right direction. <laughs> but but the, the one that I am going to ask is, will there come a time when the Queen's honours list or having an honour from the Queen, they will drop the word empire so that people aren't conflicted whose forefathers were colonised? Now that is a great question. I, I, wow, Dane. Because, because, can I ask you guys? Because I'm, I'm probably never going to be, you know, in line for any of those honours. Have you First ever... of all, Howard? Before you finish that, you are the only one I can see with a BAFTA behind them. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. I've, I've got a clock. You've got a BAFTA. <laughs> yeah. I've got an empty bottle of Coke. <laughs> 
I, I would say looking objectively at the careers that you guys have and the, and the and the work that you have achieved and will continue to achieve that you could well be in line for an honor at some point in your life how would you feel if you were um spoony how would you feel i mean dane how would you feel if you were approached about one of those honors um i mean i guess the approach would be somewhat validating. I'd be lying if you didn't feel recognition is not a part of uh, your objective as a, a creative in an industry anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think being recognised would be good to an extent. Um, but, yeah, I guess the real conflict for me, and I know it would make my parents happy, my mum would be real happy about it. Um, but, yeah, I guess the real conflict is, as uh, as Sweeney says, is identifying with the idea of imperialism and with the empire would be where the conflict would come from me. So... I'd be happy for it, but then it would be, am I conforming to the same ideas which maybe historically oppressed, you know, my ancestors? But by the same token, I guess the paradox is, is that that would have all had to have happened in order for me to now be here being uh, selected for um, the office of the British Empire or being a member of the British Empire. So, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. But I, I guess, yeah, the, the initial validation would be cool. I'm not really sure about the process and who necessarily recognises you. Because I guess on the one hand... You know, you don't want to support an idea like imperialism in modern day. But at the same time, when you look at some of the recipients of MBEs and OBEs, I wouldn't look down on those people for taking them. Like, I don't I don't think any less of Marcus Rashford. I think, you know, that's someone who should be recognised for their contributions to uh, Britain as a nation. And I guess the Commonwealth more than an empire, at the same way that, you know, even though he refused it, someone like Benjamin Zephaniah as well, um, obviously made a valid contribution. I mean, and even even Wiley to an extent, so. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that, it, how do you feel, Spoonie? Because is, is, it, is it the wording and the, the bits it's, it incorporates as opposed to the the general feeling of it? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, like, like Dane, I, I think I'm, like the, the, the conflict is when I, when I hear people have turned it down on the grounds that most people turn it down, I'm really proud of them for standing their ground. But by equal, I am very proud of anyone that I see or know that gets awarded one. And it's a very weird one. Like I always ask myself that question that, you know, what would, you know, what would you do? Not, not that I expect it to happen, but what would what would you do in that instance? And I, and the truth is, and maybe subconsciously, which is why I'm asking the question, I I still I still don't know. Um Dane again is 100 percent right that getting recognition, even though I'm sort of, I feel that I'm past that stage in my career where I need the validation and the recognition because I've done and achieved so much in my life because of my work that having another token of that doesn't sort of sit in the same way as it, as it would have done. But it is still, I guess it is still nice to, to, to achieve. My mum's no longer here, but I know my mum would be immensely proud to know that her, her son that was brought up by her and uh, you know and all of the struggles that he was he was given this but there is a part of my um my awareness that you know am I then a part of the problem and not a part of the solution the them and us the house negro field negro yeah. you know do we start getting into those realms that you know am I like I said a part of the problem for those who can't go and achieve and do that stuff. So I think, it, I think yeah, there's I, so many layers, right? There's 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 got to be a lot of layers to it. And I think I think the 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 race layer that has you said reared its head before Dane with um, Benjamin Zephaniah and you know like that. Yeah. There's those layers. I mean, for me, uh, <laughs> if I was a, a get offered it. I I would definitely tell them to fuck off, and and obviously my, mine isn't race mine isn't race based. Mine is purely based on the philosophical disdain I have for the sense of what monarchy represents in our world, and 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 that's not to say that everything that went before this current era, right, like. You know, like when you read the history books and, you know, you see a movie adaptation or, or just watch fucking Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> which is where it all kind of gets inspired by. Like you watch, you look at all of this stuff and you go, OK, well, that's kind of I can see how life was like that or, you know, it can be. But now I don't have any clue what validation it gives. You know, when you think about it like this, you know, I often think about how being an Olympic medalist must just be the most completing moment of a sportsman's 
or woman's life, right? Because that is it is literally the reason you're doing this for, right? Whereas no one does what they do to get that fucking MBE or anything, right? No one's do. Sir Michael Caine isn't like doing the, you know, 60 years of acting to try, God, I can't wait till they call me sir. You know what I mean? Like it's not, so society recognizing the great contributors is a good thing though. It just, it just comes with this loads of baggage, right? Yeah. I think you make a, a really good point there about, understanding how we got to this place uh, and but that it doesn't really have a place anymore in this place because you know i grew up watching sort of tv in in the 70s and the world was then when i say a very very different place in some of the content that was on tv prime time on a friday and saturday night and you know programs like you know the, the carry-ons and on the buses and love thy neighbor um, those kind of programs as much as I sat and I laughed about them then and I now know that content to have been wrong now I'm not saying that every single one of those exec producers, directors actors should be drawn over the coals because I think that we were in a different time and we now know it not to be right so I'm not saying that you know how the world was and you have to go around on your ships with bigger guns than the other guy and you took his island and then you you made them yours, right? Okay, but we now that know that not to be right, and what we shouldn't be doing is doing what we did yesterday just because we did it yesterday. There needs to be more to the argument than that. Beautifully put, right, Dane? Yeah, definitely. I um, it's it's I I think taking into into account both of the things you say, it, it definitely makes me think a lot about the decision because, as you said, Howard, I guess. While, yeah, we don't have to hold people to a, a harsher standard than be- before, at the same time, it's, um, I think, a large part of um, I, almost like dictating the direction of society is largely influenced by institutions like the um, MBEs and OBEs in that maybe if the, the criteria for receiving one changed, then it would change our perceptions of who is actually contributing more effectively towards us socially. So, you know, how many oncologists or how many midwives or kind of innovators in science or people that contribute to civil services like social workers, do we hear about receiving MBEs and OBEs? Obviously, you know, creatives and artists who who contribute to chronicling humanities aesthetic should be recognised. But then by the same time, you think if someone like Stephen Hawking refuses an MBE or an OBE, and you think about how much he contributes to, like you know, human intellect. Then it's it's a it's a weird one. Well, it's, it, it's 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 what what is a good contribution to society? And 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 there's lots of people who will never be recognised. Who decides that? Yeah. yeah who decides, and, and, and who decides? Should it be more? Should it be more democratic in the same way that we elect our officials for, like you know, our empire? Should we be electing that as well? Because maybe maybe you know there 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 are elitism is just a natural part of maybe human evolution and human design that some of us will excel in other areas compared to others. So maybe is it a question of we determine who our leaders are? Maybe not in such a, maybe not in such a feudal way where we have a feudal caste system, but what we do is that, you know, you know, we used to have like knights of the round table, like a knighthood nowadays has changed significantly. The idea of knights before was that these were exceptionally strong and intelligent and demure people that would protect the realm from foreign invaders. But at the same time, while I um, definitely admire people like David Beckham and Elton John for their uh, kinesthetics and their work respectively, I wouldn't trust those guys to keep the realm of the British Commonwealth safe. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have have, have experience. Like I've never seen Elton John fight against a dragon or, you know, you know, see what kind of spells they can cast. So, I think I think maybe um, the whole they could, they could help finance it. I'm sure. Yeah, they uh, definitely could help finance it. But can you reason with a dragon? Can you reason with a dragon financially or an evil sorcerer? Who knows? Uh, I think it's fucking. It, it, yeah, it is. It is crazy to think about it. And uh, God, I just think there's there's this kind of like you know, like Spoonie said, there's this old world that we're kind of constantly kind of chipping away at, right? And then you get, you know, really alarmist moments at the moment where people go, I can't believe they're changing this thing. And it's like, grow up. Yeah, or <laughs> things, grow up. Things like, or, or things change. And well, I think a my my favourite example, example is, and I predict 
we may be very old men by the point this happens, right? How the fuck are you expecting people to sing the line, God save the queen? Now, that <laughs> society is moving in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that means that there's two things that you, you most people will disagree with in that one line, right? <laughs> and, and that's not just a line that you're throwing away. It's like... Hey, this is the basis of our country. It's like, well, no, it isn't anymore. Like, <laughs> it's not, is it? But why is no? But why has nobody got the same kind of enthusiasm to change the fact that the first line references both theology and elitism and monarchy? When we are so outspoken about having a secular government and we're so outspoken about being atheists in this country, oh, it's and crazy. No one, no one seems to want to return any of the money that was made under the pretense of God saving the queen. <laughs> so that's probably why people are so so enthusiastic or have my gusto in trying to change that. So this is, you know, I guess um, I, I don't suspect that, you know, Queen Elizabeth will turn around and go, you know, in my lifetime, I'm taking the word empire out of those awards. However, I tell you what, it would be an amazing part of her legacy if when that time is coming where she took the pressure away from William, who I guess most people feel that will become the next monarch of this country. She took the decision away from William. That if Will, if it was something that William wanted to do, so that he didn't start his tenure with all of this backlash mm. from his citizens, that if the Queen were to do it, I think that would be an amazing, you know what, the world has moved on. In mm. my lifetime, the world has moved on. And actually, I want to pay homage in a different way to all of the people that have contributed so much to the great in Great Britain and yeah. hand the baton over, hand the baton over to her grandson where he can just go, wow, thank you so much for that, Grant. Yeah. It's you a know, great maybe I'm being romantic and, and ideological about yeah. it, but what? in a perfect scenario, that would be the way forward. Why not try and be a bit romantic at times, eh? Fucking I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing, that's the whole thing about peer, peership is that it's about pageantry and about yeah. being a member in an office of the British Empire. But maybe it needs a rebrand. I think maybe if it went from a uh, uh, contributor to the Commonwealth. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Maybe yeah. it's had a different name, like a, mm. yeah, it was contributed but, to the Commonwealth. But we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll tweet the Queen after this show comes out and see if she's up for it. But, um, or the crown, maybe that, maybe that's what it is. Remember, there's the crown, is the whole, you know, there's a whole group behind the Queen, the crown, yeah. maybe it's like they probably make a lot of money doing it. There's probably a lot of money in the merchandising yeah. and the trademarks of the names. Someone makes money making those little metal things and the little thing it comes inside of as well. Yeah. That guy don't want it to end, does he? So maybe yeah, of course it's not. Course not. But it was a bloody good question though, wasn't it, Dane? That's a hell of a question, right, mate? Very like, good. That's one that's really, one that really, may I just say when it does come up, I won't be mad if you take an MBE or an OBE because <laughs> you good. I'm gonna say now, so you've got it on record. It's on record. I, I fully endorse if you accept it, you know. Yeah, so I know, you. I know, you, I know and, your uh, mum would be proud. My mum's exactly the same, so I know your mum would be proud. So you take it, I won't be mad at it. So yeah. don't worry. Good. Good to know. And um, <laughs> uh, thank you for bringing that question uh, to this this show. It's a really, really good one. Um, I am going to change gear, as Dane knows I like to uh, mix things up uh, with my question this week. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little kind of pre-question, just like a throwaway thing. Like, you know, Spoonie, 
you like a tune, don't you? You know, well, give me an example. You said you do exercise. Give me an example of one song, just one song that you love, just anything you love. Big tune, banging tune. Right, Burial by Leviticus, uh, uh, Jungle Record by Jumping Jack Frost under the pseudonym. Who we, who, we, who, we, who we want to get on the show as well, Jumping Jack Frost, Howard. Perfect. So, so, that that yeah, perfect. Well, there we go. We've got a new guest as well. So let's say you're listening to that tune, right? It comes up on your shuffle, play it in Spotify, whatever you listen to. It's coming on, right? Big tune. Okay. If you're going to listen to that, right? You're going to have to turn it up. You, you want it banging in your headphones, right? That's the, yeah. Dane, you're with me, right? We listen, we talk yeah. about music. You've got to put it up, right? I'm the same. Like, I'll listen to, like, you know, Dane knows I love Ghostface or um, ACDC or, you know, like big tunes banging, like, let's go. So I love listening to music like that. But my fucking phone, right, like some kind of worrying elderly family member right, keeps telling me to turn down my fucking headphones. (laughs) So the question is, should I listen to my phone or should I tell it to fucking do one and listen to stuff loud? Because we all know why it's telling me it, right? What do you think? (laughs) I mean, if I'm allowed to answer this first, I would say at at our stage in life, listen to it exactly how you want because we're nearly dead and your ears ain't gonna matter. If I was young, <laughs> I'd say take take care of your your little eardrums because you're going to be losing your hearing too early. Um, like, it, listen, it, it, it's there. I suppose that the, the big companies have a a a social responsibility to take care of us in that way. But thank you for your advice. But where's the override button? Because I'm decided I want to listen to this louder. Cool. <laughs> it, it, it's a really weird. I found it really because it's, it seems to be happening more on my. I don't know. Maybe it's, I've got to turn it off or whatever it is. But you you've dealt with this, Dane, right? What what do you think about it? No, yeah, I saw it, I saw it most recently. I was uh, on holiday. I had my headphones on, and uh, yeah, I was also given the warning by my uh, phone that that for prolonged, sustained periods of listening to music at a certain decibel level might be damaging to my hearing. And I was like, well, well, well. That's interesting from the people that sold me these headphones in the first place, Apple. <laughs> you know, it's it's very strange. It's kind of it's one of these things where it's like, if you don't want us to turn it to 11, don't put it on the dial. You know, I mean, you design it for a reason. Like, you know, these things, are, they have a scale and they're designed to reach a limit. So if you don't want people to exceed that limit, then you probably shouldn't give them the temptation to do so. Because human beings are naturally going to be able to, if you see a, some, if you see something shiny, it's going to grab your attention. So I think that it's probably... A uh, there's a commercial interest in telling people not to do it. It's like it's like, for example, if cigarettes they 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 know they kill people, they know they're damaging, but they're still on sale. Mm. So they're kind of like they hey, thank you for buying these, but they kill you. <laughs> but at least then they feel like well, we told them. So I think really what it comes down to is that that message is just a legal loophole for manufacturers of headphones and speakers and stuff. So that if people do start having any long-term problems with their hearing and they do try to seek any legal action against mm. uh, headphone manufacturers and earpod manufacturers, then they'll be like, well, we told you. That reasoning is one I always thought about with, with cars. Um, that unless you're buying a car to take on a racetrack, the speed limit in this country hasn't been above 70 mile an hour for as long as I've ever been alive. But I don't think I've ever owned a car that, doesn't go more than 70 miles an hour. So I'm mm. like, I don't understand it. It's illegal to drive it faster than that, but yet every car goes faster than that. But like, what's the point? What am I missing there? Well, so unless you're going to take it on the autobahns or around the Nuremberg ring in, in Germany, which 99.9% of us who own the car never do that, I, I don't understand why we do it or buy those cars. Or why they make them go so far. It throws open interesting questions, doesn't it? Like Dane's comparison to cigarettes is really interesting because you kind of think to yourself, well, okay, the, the, you know, the cigarettes thing is pretty big. Like it's pretty, you know, scary really to think what cigarettes will do to your body. 
but the, it, it, it kind of isn't very scary thinking what loud music would... I mean, the idea of taking out loud music from your, <laughs> from your life, like, in my head, it's just like, well, I'm not sure I would have liked music if you'd have, <laughs> if you'd have only let me listen. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, 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 the intensity of it is vital at times. I mean, Howard, what's really interesting is that during, and, and, and this isn't a political broadcast on, on behalf of the anti-vaxxers, but this is a case of uh, when, like, right in the middle of, of COVID restrictions, when they were saying, you know, we couldn't sing and you couldn't, if you were going to a place of worship that you weren't allowed to sing and celebrate. And I'm like, you're actually going to take away one of the oldest joys known to man Hmm. by not allowing us to sing like where are we like where are we going with this mm. like and what always amazes me about that and those conversations is that no one person ever just comes up with the notion that we're going to stop people singing so I try and put myself in a little bit of a role play scenario that is 12 people of different worldly experiences sat in a room at least 12 and someone sticks up and goes I've got an idea how we can stop the spread of COVID. And they go, go on then, Michael. And I say Michael because the chances were it was a man because women wouldn't come up with something like that. We know that <laughs> most of the problems in the world are down to a man, right? And they all agreed on it. Yes, you know what? We're going to put that in our five o'clock press conference. And it just amazes me that you, I wouldn't expect an idea as bad as that in the tuck shop of of the first year of secondary school yeah, coming up with that. Exactly. Like, I'd expect them to come exactly. up with a better idea than that. Yeah. Well, so I think it's because it's, it's a lot easier for people. To, it's, I mean, you're dealing with a culture of people that are trying to pass on the buck and try to avoid accountability. So someone probably on the board, on some kind of board was like, what if we say people can't sing in churches? And someone was like, when's the last time you were in a church? You have to sing. And they were like, well, I'm not sure. Maybe they can sing with their mouths covered. And everyone was like, yeah, we'll go with that, whatever. And you just have a bunch of people who are just like, yeah, we should probably, yeah, what else? What? Guys, can we think of some things that involve opening your mouth that people shouldn't do? Breathe. No, Matt, people need to breathe. Oh, okay, fine, I was trying. All right. Um, well, what else could we sing? Oh, that's, that's good. So, yeah, you get all these ridiculous notions of just similarly incompetent people trying to come up with uh, terrible solutions. And um, because of that, you know, the problem is that a lot of the time we give over power to these kind of institutions and think tanks for them to come up with these ideas that have no real application rather than them wanting to create a culture where people are able to think critically i say that because most people know that if you have a car that can go over 100 miles an hour there's a time and a place when a car should do that but because sometimes you know people are not able to follow rules or take responsibility for their own lives that's why we have certain laws in place and the same thing well the same thing howard with the whole um headphone thing is like with mm. coffee cups as well where it's like most people know if you order fresh coffee that's going to be hot but, you know, in a place like America where you can monetize people's incompetence and their mistakes, then you have to give this extra caveat and be like, be careful because inside this cup it's hot. Whereas most people are like, well, obviously it's coffee. But there are some people out there who have been given the opportunity to have more money than sense and they have systems which are able to, um, yeah, almost reward that kind of lack of um, competence. Well, and, and it just makes me think about the fact that would I – if you said to me now for the rest of my life, I will give you an alert on your phone every time you're about to do something that could risk the safety of your life and your body, would I want them to tell me that? Probably no, would be like, do you really want to eat this piece of chicken? It's been deep fried. Yes, phone, fuck off. I really like this. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to this. We're already, on the way, we're already on the way, Howard, because, you know, people have Fitbits and they're told if you don't do 10,000 steps a day, then an alert goes off or sometimes an alert goes off if your heart rate gets too high or low. So we're already moving towards that point whereby artificial intelligence is suggesting the best way to live. So it's very interesting that, you know, you're already anticipating to resist against that because some people, I mean, I personally feel like if you needed to be told that you need to walk 10,000 steps by your phone every day, you were already part of the problem. In the same way that if you need your phone to tell you when you're supposed to go to sleep or you wake up, the problem well, isn't really your phone. It's really about the fact that you're not taking, you know, authority over your own well, life. And the Fitbit, are you, you tried one of these, Spoonie, the Fitbit things? 
Yeah, yeah. I've had yeah. I've had quite a stressful time with this program I'm making recently, right? And so I'll sit here and then the thing will beep and go, great exercise that you're doing. I'll be like, oh, fuck. It's just my heart's racing because I'm losing the will to live on the project I'm working on. And now you're telling me that my heart's doing it like I'm going for a run. It's like, fuck, this, is, this isn't good in any way. Like, you know, it's horrible. It's lying to you as well. So it's easy to fall. Yeah. Yeah, I mean we're we're getting we're getting uh getting to a point where everyone's expected to be more aware, but they're taking away awareness and responsibility at the same time. And you, it's like we're having to to fight for, like Dane said, you know, you're part of the problem. If your watch needs to tell you you haven't done any steps, like I know I've not done any exercise this week. I don't need a gadget to tell me that. And actually, the gadget you're only telling me that because I'm actually wearing you. How smart are you? Because if I didn't have you on you wouldn't have that information. So the same fact that I know <laughs> I can put that watch on and no one wears a Fitbit for, for, for um, you know, for function. Well, it's all for function, uh, not for style. That you mm. go, well, actually, you know what, mate? Just, just drop me out. I know when I need to do more exercise because my belly grows. And it's just <laughs> It's a very, very salient point. I think that there's this kind of like, like sometimes I might be listening to something on my phone and it's just because I, I haven't paid attention. I actually, this is a bit loud. So do you know what? I might have actually have need, you know, it's it's more the kind of like lack of, I don't know, maybe it's not advanced enough or, but like when you talk about the Fitbit, I'm like, yeah, this, this guy is quite useful for like, you know, oh, actually I did that in like 30 minutes, that bit of exercise. Oh, and look, and it tells me I, you know, did that many steps. You know, it's kind of like, it's not like, oh my God, I need to live my entire life using this machine to define my existence <laughs> every day. Because without it, I just don't know if I could live anymore. Like, I may as well just fucking wrap myself up in bed and just rot unless this machine, these machines define my existence by some kind of set of achievements. Uh, some, which, there are some people that are already living like that. And I think that's part of the, I mean, and that's more of the worrying thing is that it, they're, you know, it's like, it's for me, it's one of these very uh, shallow kind of neat attempts at nobility. That's the, that's like, the like, perfect word gamble, for it. Gamble, gamble response. You know, when people say, say gamble responsibly, yeah. Yeah. like shallow <laughs> nobility, yeah. man, you've yeah. nailed it on the head. Do you know what I worked out the other day? I worked out why fucking Peloton so popular. Like it's because people are bored of watching videos on their YouTube when they're supposed to be doing their fitness routines. And they're like, oh, this is boring, isn't it? This person's not really actually talking to me. It's just a recording. And I was like, how fucking low is your willpower that you just can't just do the exercise without some <laughs> anyway. cunt at the end of the phone saying, come on, mate, get on with it. You're supposed to be doing exercise. <laughs> that's a dis- but that's a discipline. It's it's if every time, if there, can, if there is a gap in the market to make something more convenient, then people will do it. Like, I'm, I'm telling you for free, like, you know, if they could do the same way you do facial recognition to open your phone, if you could get a laser to wash someone's bum without them having to wipe it, I'm telling you, that's going to happen. It's just any time... I'll, that, I'll have that for my son, though, if that's possible. There you go. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> see, and there, there are people aware of that. that if there's a there way to make human life much easier or people to put in less effort all the time, there's always going to be a small contingent of people that do it. In the same way, you know, bullets exist because people are like, oh, I'm not going to juice my own fruits. Oh, fuck that. That takes ages. <laughs> So someone had to do that for them, or a juice tiger to get rid of, gets rid of all of the pulp. There's always going to be a way people can stream their existence. And I guess it comes down to if people can avoid, you know, it's harder nowadays in just people's everyday for them to have discipline and self-restraint because we're spoiled for choice so much. Mm. So now people just want people to help them make the choice for them instead. The, the best definition of that is the... Uh fact that people don't know what to watch anymore because they've got so much to watch <laughs> too, too much choice too, too much choice. just come back to the headphone conversation i know you've already spoken about one tech giant and so i know that we're we're not bound commercially here mm-hmm. um with regards to listening to music loudly what i've actually realized as i've got older and maybe my ears have become more sensitive is it's it's more to do with the the clarity than the actual volume Mm-hmm. So if people have things loud, but it doesn't always sound good. Um, so with regards to earbuds, and I'm, this is maybe a kind of little plug. My, my, my earbuds are made by a company called AKG for Samsung. So they will have years and years and years and years of experience of making clear sound, as opposed to just getting a pair of cheap headphones or just non-headphones he- that haven't had years and years and years 
of research and development. So, um, you know, just a highbrow answer to uh, what could have been a trivial question, but really wasn't. Is that <laughs> get headphones and use headphones that have been made by experts in making headphones. Brilliant, brilliant conclusion to what was quite a, a ranty question for me, but I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed asking people who care about it as much as I do. Um, Dane, over to you, man. It's the final question of what's been a brilliant episode. Uh, definitely. Uh, so obviously, Spoonie, as I said in the credits, that a lot of people will know you from your work with the Dream Team and then just how you've been able to use that as a springboard into various other subcategories of entertainment and stuff as well. And then, you know, also just as well being a massive influence to people like myself and, um, you know, a whole litany of producers and DJs that have come in your wake. Um, prior to yourself appearing on the podcast, we had a Corrupt FM on and, you know, uh, the guys, um, Beats and Grinder have obviously been a part of a kind of quasi-renaissance of a particular era of music and uh, have kind of reignited an appreciation for that. But what we discussed on the podcast was um, who we people we considered to be um, underrated or overlooked uh, producers and DJs. And so now that we have someone here that actually lived it, I wanted to ask kind of like a two-part question in that um, are there rappers and producers or, oh, sorry, producers and DJs and pioneers of the garage scene and, and forward who you feel should receive some kind of musical MBE uh, as part of the question. And then I want to ask as well is, was there a particular point throughout your career, particularly obviously being known associated with a garage as a, a house and garage, where you looked at that, that scene and was like, we've arrived. Like this is, this mm. is a good scene. Good stuff. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So uh, listen, any, any time and opportunity I get to give, um, some others flowers I, I take it it's something that I I see as a bit of an honour bestowed upon me and also as a responsibility because people will look at me as someone who was has been around the scene from an early day and will trust um, my view and opinion on it um, just like they trust my view and opinion that if they buy a ticket they're going to largely have a good time I'm not going to say exclusively because there's not a DJ in the world that has never cleared a dance floor but more often than not, I will make I will make people dance. Um, but I mean, there, 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 there's a few. There, there, there were a few. I mean, the Antil Mob, um, who largely produced on uh, you know one of the most important UK garage labels, Confetti. Um, I, I mean, there was a time when I would have to consciously not play another Antil Mob Confetti record in my set because it felt like. You've already played three. You're playing for an hour. Like, bruv, this is getting ridiculous. This is not the best of confetti. That's how good their, their, their music was. And I think that, you know, falling into that category will be um, Paul Benjamin and Jeremy Sylvester. And I mentioned them both because they are prolific producers in their own right, but they've done some amazing collaborations together as well. And I just don't think Tony, that... I'm going to have to say to you, yeah, interrupt you and say, um, we are already intrigued and I should let you know that we're probably going to need a playlist for our listeners. Oh yeah, I'll be do- I'll be doing I'll be doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, going need, we're going to need a playlist. We're going to need a playlist. This is great. This is a playlist. I'm getting out a pen and a pad because we're going to need a playlist. <laughs> right. I, I mean, listen, and then that playlist is going to be called UK Garages Unsung Heroes, right? Yes. And or the Unsung Legends. And like I said, Ant Hill Mob, Confetti Records, um, Paul Pendry, Benjamin, and Jeremy Sylvester individually and collectively. Um, them two who made uh, Destiny, um, which you know Lonio went and put a vocal on it. So that track came out first as an instrumental, and it was gathering such momentum that you know someone at a record label, after most probably a conversation with someone at a, at a radio station, turned around and said, "If you put a vocal on this, I think we can get this played daytime because basically they wouldn't play a very good record um, daytime unless it had a, a song on it." So. Um, that's the, that's how that went out. But them two again have made some amazing music. One of the Dream Team's favourites, um, uh, a producer called TJ Cases, who has made so many bangers. Again, another one that falls into that category of being aware of the amount of tracks that I would play from Cut and Play Records or TJ Cases in one set. So 
listen, I know that's not a definitive list and the list will become more definitive when I do the, the playlist for you. But just guys um, and producers that I always, always played their music. that like I could almost, I mean, and this is like the highest, the highest compliment that I would almost, I would be safe playing their record in a club without even listening to it first. And wow. that as a, a DJ, that's like almost the highest accolade that you can that you can give someone. And I think going back historically, there were people like Masters at Work and Kerry Chandler and Smack Productions who that like, were around at the original sound of, of UK Garage that if they released a record, you go into the record shop and that would be one of the ones you wouldn't play first. You would just take it because you knew it was guaranteed goodness. Um, I think what's so interesting about this is just from a kind of uh, a wider perspective a little bit is the fact that the impact of that era of music, even if people don't have a vast knowledge of it and might, you know, recognise a tune or two, the impact it had was, I mean, it's 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 unquestionable how big an impact it had. I think, it's, I think it was almost Britain's answer to disco. I think it was so, it was like, you know, a... That's really the, interesting. I've never heard that said before. As in, As in like, you know, there was an element of garage which was kind of there was like a, a champagne kind of social thing to it. There was a certain level of pageantry to it. Um, well, I it think, was also just off the back of you know this kind of Tony Blair Brit pop kind of thing yeah. that had just gone on right at the end of the nineties or in the mid. Yeah, so there was it almost kind of rep- rep- represented uh, somewhat of a economic prosperity after years of like you know having kind of Thatcher in and like kind of Tory rule yeah. as well. Um, and also because the reason why I say like uh, the equivalent of disco is because like good rhymes was almost like the equivalent of rapper's delight because it was the first time yeah. that the uh, audience at large heard like MCs and vocalists on a garage instrumental um, yeah. with a song they kind of they would have recognised as well because obviously it's the Chic song as well that they was kind of adapted yeah. but I think you know with all of the MCs that were on there as well you got like that song was probably one of the best representations of showing the diversity of Garage, where you would have had yep. rappers with some, like, MCs, like, Unknown and stuff, and Kai, who were kind of a bit more depth, and then you had, like, your party MCs, like your DTs and stuff as well, so it kind of showed yep. the whole broad range, as you saw with, like, the Sugar Hill Gang. And if you look at, like, how, like, Sublo and then Grime kind of grew out of that Garage and, and the kind of 4 by 4 when you hear about, you know, the early adopters of grime, they say it's a very similar thing where like rappers couldn't take advantage of the champagne lifestyle or get into Studio 54 to enjoy disco. In the same way that when we were a certain age, if you were a kid in a tracksuit, you couldn't get into Gas Club and kind of those kind of mm-hmm. and Cosa Nostra. So the grime was like, we kind of opted for more of the vocal side of being able to spit over stuff. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I say. And, and because like, you know, there was like, Garage had a much broader appeal and it had, I think I had one, and House had one much quicker than it took for people to accept Grimes' aesthetic. So. Also, don't you think? I mean, Spoonie, don't you think that know, Garage to me it was it was a real explosion of music of black origin in the UK, primarily with with a, with with the, the the protagonists at the forefront in a different way. Whereas some of the the other genres of music you're talking about, Dane, you know, House and stuff, like the protagonist was was in the background more. Yeah, you have, to know, you have to know your Knoxes and your and your you know Todd Edwards and stuff. Yeah. And you, have, you have to know. Does that things. make sense, Spoonie? What I'm saying there, like, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I mean, I'll I'll run that up another level. That what happened with the UK garage scene is that it was almost a for us by us. So it meant that all of the, as you said, the main protagonists, they were here. They were people that you would bump into in Leicester Square or your local Sainsbury's or in a petrol station. They weren't people that you know you would you would only have contact with on, on on a camera or on a screen or something like that. These were real tangible people. And I think that added to to part of the charm. And everybody felt a bit of uh, a bit of pride and ownership, which added to, you know, it was all it was all X factor. They, you know, Dane spoke about the socioeconomic element of where we were at the time. That was a massive part of it because people had disposable income or more importantly they felt that they had disposable income yeah so you know it's interesting when people feel that they're skin and they behave like they are skin and they will have their own austerity measures in there but at that time everyone's like well i've just got i've got money and i'm going to spend money and i'm going to enjoy myself and i'm going to get my hair cut every week and i'm going to wash my car 
every week and I'm going to window shop at least every week and I'm definitely going to buy something every fortnight. And that was it. Hmm. And, um, you know, I think all of these things up and down every major town and city in the UK just contributed to, for at least three years, UK Garage being the biggest underground scene in the country. And I say biggest underground, which is almost a contradiction in, um, it's almost a, a contradiction in terms, but, you know, we were still playing dub plates and playing real small venues whilst we were on Radio One, hmm. which, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Um, it doesn't happen that often, but we, we have to doff our cap to, you know, those that went before us in the drum and bass scene. I think what those guys did was, was amazing, but UK Garage was allowed to be played and was more acceptable on, on radio, so to speak. It'd be interesting if it was now, because with the advent of the internet, which we, we, we didn't have then, how different things well, may have been because that's, that's, a, that's a that's a big point man that's a big point because you yeah, know largely yeah. largely at the time the radio stations and the major rate labels kind of controlled the direction to a degree mm. where now they still do listen don't get fooled that you know, no, but they don't have complete control. They don't. They don't. They don't have yeah, complete but, control. They're responding a lot of the time to what's happening online. They're, they're you know, they, they will, something will spark and they will jump on it, won't they? You know. Yeah, but seventy, eighty percent of the music that you hear on Spotify, which is the way that most people mm-hmm. increasingly everyday consume music, is owned by one of three record labels. So mm-hmm. even though it doesn't appear to be as uh, as controlling, it is in a in a different way. But anyway, look, I, I digress. It's an interesting situation we've got now. And I think I was talking to Spoonie before we jumped on this about the, the listeners. Me and Dane missed an episode last week. We apologise. Dane's on tour, uh, aren't you, Dane? And uh, I'm making this TV show about these rappers from Bradford that you can see. It's, on, it's called They're called the Bad Boy Chiller Crew, which I really, the reason I bring it up is because it links to a bit of what we're talking about, which is the reason these guys from Bradford are so popular is because every person up north who loves their music and their music, they're funny guys, but their music is 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 solid at what it's trying to achieve. Every one up north feels they own a bit of these boys, that they're on a journey and on a story with them and seeing them succeed and seeing them play these big festivals and and get silver discs for their latest, you know, single and stuff. Everyone feels they got a part of that. And I think Garage had that. And I think I think that's still what makes part of a music explosion so special when they happen. They just don't happen yeah. very often, do they? I remember reading a story. Uh, I think it was, um, oh, I don't remember the guy's name. Um, he was the lead MC in a Genius Crew. I'm trying to remember a couple of uh, his name. Uh, I know the crew, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would say online who was the, the lead singer because they all would yeah, exactly, yeah. so I remember there was like, yeah. 50 was one of the guys as well. But um, I remember he said, that he um had a, like he was driving to a gig had a BMW that he overturned and I and I it is like it was interesting to hear like the point at which like garages are seem seem seems very lucrative I'm not sure if if you can juxtapose it to like today's music but one thing I liked about it was like the fact that you could it was a domestically made genre of music <laughs> that was being created and pioneered by my elder peers from this country but they were able to realize you know some financial success from it like. You know, Garage weren't just great as a scene, as a, as a large underground scene. Like, Garage also allowed us, you know, for people to create credible singles. Like, Garage technically gave us Craig David, uh, and it also gave us, like, you know, Daniel Beddingfield through Alpha Dodger as well. Um, Mystique kind of used Garage as well to transition into making, like, more credible R&B. So, you know, for a lot of people, it was like, you couldn't really have a, a viable career without making something that kind of had that Garage sound in the first place. So, I mean, it was very useful as a genre of music. And, and again, it definitely gave credibility to British music. So I would say if there was a particular point where, you know, being involved in a scene, you were kind of like, oh, this has actually got legs, man. We're actually here. Like, this is being respected. Great, yeah. Interesting. I, I, I think that, like, there were a couple of, um, there were a couple of points on our, on our journey. And I, I always put it to um, when you get the phone call from, from the broadcasters. And the first one, and maybe the single most important one was leaving, coming from pirate radio to joining Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, because for us, it was something like we loved radio and I still love radio and I'll, I'll always love radio. And I grew up listening to some of the greatest broadcasters that ever lived. And I think the way they influenced me was that actually if 
I'm using their style to punctuate the music that I play. I didn't always like the music that they played, but I loved what they did when they weren't playing the music. And I'm talking Kenny Everett and Chris mm. Tarrant and Chris Evans uh, later on that, you know, these guys are, you know, just truly phenomenal at, at what they did. I've always felt that I was sat with them, like they were my friends. That was, and again, that's, uh, if I look at how I've modelled my my broadcasting, it's always been that I'm sat in the same room and we're just chilling, chatting. And if you can do that to a few million people at the same time, um, you hit that sweet spot. So coming from Pirate to Kiss, um, even though numbers-wise, that wasn't as big as going from Kiss to uh, Radio 1 via Galaxy, I felt that what it signified was that actually this is a this is a massive thing and and the journey and the journey would begun and from there it would like it just opened my my ears and, and my mind to like actually there's no reason for us to stop we can keep going all the way so even though you know I ended up doing some amazing sort of private events and you know some of the biggest TV shows that this country's ever done having that seed sown early doors was that was really the key you yeah. know going from pirate radio to kiss was you know was everything that was like the biggest that was like the biggest step i think uh i could listen to this all day that's i mean it's this has been such a brilliant episode Dane. we've got a part two dane when's part two happening with spoonie it's got <laughs> yeah, to be, no, got to be a part, part two, two man because we're gonna have to do a part two yeah um just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Spoonie. And uh, I, I've, made, I've, I've made a list and, and great guys. And, you know, just even when you bring up people like Martyrs at Work and Lonyo, again, even them two, it's just like, you know, small little recess of the brain. I'm just like, oh, yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that um, I'm going to have to be very insistent on putting together a uh, putting together a playlist for listeners and stuff as well, especially because I'm on tour as well. So this is going to be the UK, the Dream Team tour playlist. I think that's a great name for it. So, um, but uh, before that, before that, you do uh, curate and put together a great playlist. Uh, where can uh, people find out more about your good works at the moment, Spoonie? Well, I mean, the, the, the best way. I mean, I, I post everything up on uh, on Instagram at DJ Spoonie. I'm doing an end of year party on the 11th of December at Lafayette in Kings Cross. Amazing venue. Um, I'm not sure if you've been and spent much time around Kings Cross, but they've really done it up, and it's not too far from. You know, one of the most legendary and iconic uh, warehouse warehouses for, for 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 our scene in in Bagley's. It's kind of like just over the road, so it's on a similar site to there. Maybe quite significant and poignant that we're that we're back there. Um, and tickets are on sale for the next instalment of Garage Classical. I mean, so far we've been spoilt with with this project that we've done. You know, some of the most iconic music venues in the world. I mean, I've performed with my trombone on stage at the Royal Albert Hall. And I don't know if I've told anyone that before, but yes, I have. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're doing Kew Gardens uh, in July 2010-22. So I'm really looking forward to, to to doing that. And we'll have a few thousand people, hopefully in the great British summer. Yeah. Please. Yeah. And, well, and, and just to confirm then, that's cl- the, the classical... Garage thing is how does it differ? What would t- just so the audience know what they might expect if they come along? So basically, like your favorite your favorite garage songs will be performed by a thirty six piece orchestra. Um, have <laughs> to say, props to Katie Chapburn um, who composed composed all the music and uh, transposed all the music, and the ignition orchestra who have been playing alongside me for you know a few years now. They are wow. fantastic. And getting better and better every single time I hear them. Um, they're tighter and tighter. And this is, you know, this is a 36-piece orchestra playing garage music. And that is really what it is. I mean, other than the Sonics, it, it is a visual splendor I am well, pumped. So I, honestly, I'm, I'm, Dane, we're, Dane, we're going, right? We're going, no, Dane. I've got a, we're I, going. My friend went to the last one and said it was amazing. So yeah, yeah. Uh, We're going. That's it. It's happening. Spoonie, thank you, sir. What a joy to do that episode, honestly. Genuine pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Howard. Thank you for having me, Dane. I like, I like to talk. It's nice to um, chew the fat and hear different perspectives, and especially when the perspective in a very serious world can come with uh, a tinge of humour because I've got a bit of a dark a dark uh, sense of humour anyway. So I, I absolutely appreciate you guys. I really do. Thanks, man. 
It's been a, it's been a pleasure, man. And uh, yeah, genuinely an inspiration. And if I knew I'd be speaking to a member of the Dream Team from 20 years ago when I was at university, I wouldn't have believed it. So <laughs> thank you very much. Gun fingers, sniper pose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the playlist, Spoonie. And I will definitely catch you soon, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Big up. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTiste. Our guest was DJ Spoonie. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at DJ Spoonie. The show was produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.